Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the July 10th, 2015 edition, Friday's show. And you know what today is? It is, of course, my book pre-order day. My website is up and running, and it's online, and it's greengospel.ca, greengospel.ca. And it is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. If you just go on the right, you'll see a direct link also to the site. So go check out the site and get your copies ordered. Pre-order them today, folks. I'm really excited to finally finish the book and get it into people's hands. It has been quite a journey, needless to say. But I really believe that God's hand is on this book. And I want to get it in people's hands. And I think this is, again, I said this yesterday, I think this is going to be incredible to wake up a lot of people. I'm really hoping to wake up a lot of churches and pastors and congregants. And folks, if you want me to speak at your church, I am also available to do that. I do a presentation on Green Gospel that is quite unbelievable. So I'd be glad to do that. And you can actually go to my website, greengospel.ca, and get some more information. Let me know how you do like the site. I wanted to put a little bit of a visual feel together on the site, and I'm looking forward to everyone's feedback. So pre-order Green Gospel today. I'm very excited about that. Please be praying for me, and I ask you to continually pray for this book to get into the hands that it needs to. And I thank you so much for that. My guest today is Donald Henderson. He is the author of God Signs. Now, God Signs is really the Bible in a nutshell, and it contains rich descriptive scriptures of the Amplified Bible, which are connected with narrative to really form a mosaic depicting God's revealed purpose in creating the universe. The book unveils why God has given us the Bible, why we're here, and how we fit into the overall scheme of his design. These answers are then supported in detail by unfolding the prophetic mysteries. And it is a pleasure to have on 
the author of this incredible book, Donald Henderson. Welcome to the program, sir. It's great to have you on. Well, thank you very much, Sheila. Thank you for uh, inviting me to be a part of your program. It's an honor. Well, it's great to have you on. I personally thought this was an excellent book, and I'm really very excited to talk about the book. Now, Chapter 1, I thought it was a fascinating, I really thought it was a fascinating title. It says, what is it all about? So, Donald, there's a big question. What is it all about? Well, that is explained very well in Ephesians, the first couple of chapters, and it has to do with what God was doing in the eternities with the angels before the creation. Now, if you can imagine a conversation before the fall of man, and you hear two people talking, and one of them says, aren't the love and the mercy and the grace of God wonderful? Don't you just marvel at his forgiveness? And the other person may say, well, what are you talking about? And the first person might answer then, well, you know, when, when you sin. The other person, well, what sin? What is this that you're talking about? So before the fall, if you were trying to describe something like mercy, grace, forgiveness, sin, to anyone, it would be like trying to describe the color red to a person who'd been blind since birth. It just wouldn't make any sense. So it says there in Ephesians that God had this great desire, well, it's implied, he had this great desire to show great love to his angels in the heavenlies. What could the living God of the universe give to his angels to prove his love to them? The only thing, they, I mean, could he give them a planet? The best thing he had that he could give them is himself. And the only way that he can give himself to them is by revealing aspects of his character that had never before been seen. So when the fall came along, man fell, and the angels are watching this, and they're, you know, awed at what has happened. They're, they're really grossed out at how the fallen angels and the fallen mankind have behaved. And then they see that God sends his only son, Jesus, to the cross, suffers this horrible thing that they can't even comprehend, and he does it all to redeem these rebellious creatures back into his loving care. And then while they're marveling at that, God reaches down into the mire and pulls up a chunk of refuse, and he says, oh, by the way, angels, watch this. I am going to make a bride out of this, and I'm going to share with her everything that I have for all eternity. Well, that is an amazing thing for the angels. Now here, you know, I'm quoting from the Bible. Here it says Ephesians 2, verse 7. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor, and his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Jesus Christ. It says he did these things because he was putting on a demonstration goes on to say in chapter 3, the purpose is this, that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God, in all its infinite variety and immeasurable aspects, might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities and the principalities and powers in the heavenly spheres. The many-sided were the multifaceted wisdom of God. So he revealed some of his character, that there would have been no other way of 
the universe knowing about this had it not been for the fall. And, you know, the, the amazing thing about this is, now, if you were to take, say, one of the most wealthy corporate CEOs in the world, or a sheik or whoever, and you were to put up an ad and said, uh, tomorrow, CEO so-and-so is going to take applications for the person to be selected because he wants to show the whole world how generous he can be when he really wants to be generous. Now, if you did that, you would have people lined up down the street. It'd be worse than Black Friday, you know. People would be lined up down the street waiting for an opportunity to have this man show his goodness to them. Now, we as a church, that's what we get. And God is reaching out, the Holy Spirit is reaching out to people every day, saying, the Lord of the whole universe wants to adopt you, and he wants to share his throne with you for all eternity. And, you know, it says that it will resound to the praise of his glory in the church. That, you know, in heaven, every time one of the angels sees one of us go by, they'll say, look, there's one of the redeemed. There's one of those people who was lost and hopeless, and God's pulled them back from the pit, and God is now sharing with that person his throne and everything he has for all eternity. If people could get a grasp for what they're being offered, people look at the Christian life and at the things God asks of us as if it's some horrible, deprived thing that we're being asked to do, restraining from all of these different things. Well, we're being restrained only from the things that bring suffering and death. And what we have to hope for in eternity, by yielding to God and letting him bless us like this, it's incredible. So now that is the, the main purpose, but also then the secondary purpose is uh, Scripture, and it's in Matthew uh, 1, 21 to 23. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, you know, it doesn't say that he's going to call his name Jesus because he's going to give them a fire insurance policy for hell. It says that he is going to save his people, not from hell, but from their sins. And so it's implied here that there is a process of cleansing and transformation that is to take place, and that it is a renewal, and it's a process that we go through. And God expects to see some progress, and yet it's his work that all we have to do is uh, cooperate with him. Now, so that is the gist of, of what it's all about, that we are a fallen race and that we have been redeemed, and it's redeemed to be conformed into the image of Christ, to rule in the heavenlies with him for eternity, and it's an amazing thing. Well, and we really do have a promise, don't we? One of the chapters in your book talks about the fact that we do have a promise. Share that with our listeners. Well, you know, God has given us all of these promises in the scriptures, promises for healing, promises for prospering, promises for sanctification, promises for heaven, and to see miracles. But it's not just a shopping list for us. God has a plan for us, and he didn't just give us a map and say, do what you have to. 
But it says uh, in the scriptures uh, that Jesus has provided us, he's given us the Holy Spirit as a, a means for us to retrieve, to lay hold of the promises. All of these promises that he gave to the Israelites, that they would enter the promised land, he didn't just turn them loose when they got out of Egypt and, and let them go wandering across the wilderness. They entered the promised land because they were led by God as a, a pillar by day and, and fire by night, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we must be led in the same way. He has given us the Spirit to do that. He gave them an angel to do that. Now, when he gives you a promise, oftentimes, immediately after he gives that promise, everything is going to go haywire. It's going to, like, go in reverse. You're going to... Uh, you're going to think you've been deceived, you got a false prophecy, maybe you had eaten the wrong thing before you went to bed and had a dream, whatever. But he gives us the promise a lot of times to give us something to hold on to while we go through a time of pruning and testing that is necessary to prepare us for his use. I heard years ago uh, a message called Promise Problem Fulfillment. God gives you a promise, you hold on to it to go through a swamp of some kind that is horrible, but as you go through that swamp, you are pruned and formed by him in order to be what he needs you to be, acquiring the growth that you need to have to occupy the position that he's calling you to. Also, we have in this world one chance to become everything that God wants us to be. Now, years ago, I read a book by a man named Paul Bilheimer. He wrote Destined for the Throne. He also wrote Destined to Overcome. He had an insight that was unusual, and the one book that really got to me was called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And we're all going to go through some stuff. We can either use it to our advantage, or we can let it make us bitter. It'll usually go one way or the other. So in Don't Waste Your Sorrows, he, he made a big point of that. He mentioned that we're, we're going to have our sorrows. We're going to have our times of grief. If we yield to God in the middle of it, he will be able to bring about a growth process in us. Uh, I liken this also to an athlete that lifts weights. He has to put some weight on the bar. He has to be consistent in his workouts, and he has to, to, to lift something that challenges him, or he won't uh, gain any strength at all. In this life, if it were all easy, we wouldn't gain strength. And there's a, a certain amount of uh, opposition that is uh, required in order to build Christian character in us. And once we leave this earth, there won't be opposition for us there will be no opportunity to build Christian character. So we have to do that now. And how we overcome, how we cooperate with God in this process, determines how we grow, and it determines what our place in the eternities will be. You know, there are great, great promise, promises in Revelation concerning, you know, the overcomer. He who overcomes will be given an iron rod and a scepter to rule with. Well, you need some preparation for that. 
I think one of the things, of course, Donald, as you know, we have a lot of this mantra being spewed out of the pulpit that every day is a Friday and live your best life now. And one of the personal things you shared in your book, and it's something I can relate to, now share this with the audience. You spent seven years living out of your van. And, you know, it's very hard for me personally to understand these ministries raking in the you know the billion dollar lucre when a person's homeless because I myself was homeless just last year I was living in my car for a period of time and it really seemed like the harder that I was going to press in really get serious about God the opposite of what these prosperity preachers churn out happens do you find that interesting yes I do and um you know when I went to get my book published, they asked me, you know, what audience was I writing it for? And, you know, one of the audiences that I wanted to write it for was the people who were going through stuff, and they have been led to believe by some ministries that there's something wrong with them if they're going through that. And yet, uh, in that first chapter, I quote verse after verse after verse, where it says that we are promised these afflictions. We're not to shrink back for it. When they had preached the good news, I'm quoting one, good news or gospel, to that town and made disciples of many of the people, they went back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, establishing and strengthening the souls and the hearts of the disciples, urging and warning and encouraging them to stand firm in the faith, and telling them that it is through many hardships and tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, you know, we all know that that there were rich men in the Bible, and yet every one of those men, if you want to look at Job, he went through things. Abraham went through things. So it's not an accurate dividing of the word of God to leave out the hardship and, uh, you know, the... It's a message of hope and healing and deliverance, the gospel is, but it's also at the center of it, it's got the cross of Christ. And you know what Adam and Eve were promised by the devil in the garden is you shall be like God. Well, what's the difference between that and what we believe? The difference is the cross. And any time you are promised things without the cross as the center, a cross in your life, bearing the cross, dying daily, you're only being given the same thing Satan told them they were going to get. And it's not true. It's just not. If you look at every one of the patriarchs and Israel itself, as you know, as it goes on to tell, uh, they all went through things to build their character. Uh, David had a promise to him. He was anointed to be the king. That was done when he was just a little shepherd boy out in the field. But it didn't happen the next day. And he went through a lot of stuff. He had people trying to kill him and slander him. And, you know, he ended up having to pretend he was crazy for a while, scribbling on the wall. I mean, didn't look anything like a king. But it eventually happened. And we have to remember that about him, that there was a process. And that's what the gist of the remaining part of the book has to do with, is, is this process. You know, during the time that God... Uh, called me to be in my van, I would just say that uh, he dumped the Monopoly board of my life, really. And uh, for a while, I was in a sedan. Impressed me with the scripture that Jesus gave the rich young ruler. 
where the rich young ruler came and said, you know, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know that the commandments, obey them. And he said, well, I've obeyed them all. And Jesus said, well, this one thing you lack. Take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the guy went away sad because he couldn't do that. Well, I had that on my heart, and I just felt like, you know, whatever God asks of me, I'm going to do it. And so he ended up having me give a good portion to, and this is my IRA money is what I had, my retirement money, give a good portion of it to a mission, and then he had me go to out to Manhattan, New York, and I went to the Times Square Church of David Wilkerson's, and I went out on the street ministering, and uh, there were times when I was staying in a, in a hotel. And one day the Lord told me, go down and get breakfast. I said, Lord, I'm going through my IRA money like water. Do I need to save something? And he said, you know, you told me you were willing to take what you had, sell it, give it to the poor, and follow me. Now, if I have to have you do a missions trip to Manhattan, you know, what difference does that make to you? So I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go with that. Well, he changed my the schedule of my days a lot. I ended up spending time in a different way than I had in the past. And after a couple of months, two or three months, he took me back out to the West Coast. And I ended up returning a new car. It was a special kind of a purchase lease. And all I had was, you know, $1,000 to pay it off. And I went in and to the company. I said, you know, this is all I've got. Uh... I don't want to have to declare bankruptcy. It's not going to do you any good for me to declare bankruptcy. So if you'll take this, well, they settled for that. And then I went out and I had just a little bit of money left to to get a vehicle. And here's an example of the way Lord, the Lord handled something, a need of mine. The used car sales business doesn't always have the greatest reputation. And it was on a strip that has a bunch of uh, used car lots on it. And the Lord took me to one. I rode the bus to get there. And I was talking to the to the salesman, and I looked at two different vans. One was in the price range that I could afford. The other was about double. But it had curtains on it. And if I had to live in it, I wanted to, to have something like that. And the salesman said, well, which one do you like? And I said, well, they're both nice vans. I said, but I kind of need something that I can live in. You need something you can live in. Suddenly he got this burden for you know. So I said, well, come on inside. We'll talk to the manager. So he said to the manager, he likes both of the vans, but he kind of needs something that he can live in. The manager says, he needs something he can live in? I couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know. And he said, well, how much can you give me? And I told him. And you know, it was about half of what they were asking for it. He said, well, let me see. And he got on the computer and spent a couple of minutes, and he said, we can do that. It's yours. When can you pay us? I said, well, I got just got to go to the bank and, and pull my money out. Or we'll give you a ride to the bank. So they gave me a ride to the bank. Well, I ended up living in that van for the, you know, the next eight or ten years. And during that time, I'd run out of money totally. And at that time, having been an engineer, I was still wearing a, sport coat and, you know, nice shoes and pants. And by the way, I never did look the part of a homeless person while I lived. And, and you can do that if you've got a, a vehicle. It's pretty hard to do if you're living under a bush or next to a building somewhere. But I was fortunate. And I was at the busiest intersection in the state getting ready to cross. There's the crosswalk. The cars, you know, came to a stop. And now I can walk across. And there's a quarter. 
in the street. Can I see it? The Lord says, there's your coffee money. I said, God, right, right here in front of all these people? He said, are you a humble man? So I reached down and I picked up the quarter. I went across the street and he began to, to do things that were very unusual. Like one day I was walking down the street and, uh, you know, he'd give me different areas to walk in and I was prayer walking this city. And as I walked down the street, you know, sometimes I would see coins and I'd pick them up. But the rule was I couldn't pick up pennies. He said, you leave the pennies for the poor people. This is not about poverty. This is about training. So you leave those, you can pick up the others. And occasionally there'd be a quarter or something. Just tell me that one's not yours. Well, this day I was walking down the down one side of the highway, and um, I saw this thing about the size of a quarter. It actually looked like a slug out of an electrical box. And um, I thought, can that really be, could that be a, a coin? It was all scratched. There was not anything on the one side that gave evidence of it being a coin. I turned it over, and there's George. You know, it's a quarter. A little piece of black paint right above George's head. So I took that up. I went on, had, you know, a couple of miles to go, and I went into the grocery store. And, well, a week later, I was walking down the same highway on the other side of the street. And I see another one of these, looks like a slug out of an electrical box, or, or somebody had, you know, hit their brakes on a quarter and just skidded it down the pavement, scraped everything off of it. I picked it up, turned it over, there's George again, and there's a little flake of black paint right next to the top of his head. I thought, this is incredible. So I went ahead and I took it to the grocery store. <laughs> the lady looked at it this time and she, wow, this quarter's seen better days. I told her, well, sometimes some of God's money's a little bit scratched. And uh, he provided for me... Um, in other ways, like, you know, there were times where I didn't have anything to eat for several days. Well, some people would say, you know, you can get miffed at God. And I had determined that I was not going to do that. And I told God, another thing I didn't want to do was hold a sign. I told the Lord, your scripture says that the righteous won't be forsaken or seed-baking bread. And I know how to go hungry. And, and I'm starved before I'll do that unless you make me do that, and then I ask you for the grace. But um, anyway, if I starve to death, give me grace for that. And I hope it doesn't take too long. Well, I also would tell my heart, and you know, like David talked to his heart and said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We're in a war zone, and I'm going to function like a like a, a warrior, like a soldier. What God tells me to do, that I'm going to do. Sometimes, um, maybe after going without anything for quite a while, I'd be walking down the street, you know, during this time, I got to know a few people, and somebody zoom over in their car, pull off the, on the side of the road, and say, Hey, Don, you've been on my heart, lady. The Lord told me to give you this, maybe a couple of bucks, maybe a ten. But the important thing about it was that I'd have three of those happen in the same day. And I said, Well, now that that is happening, this is God's confirmation that I'm handling this the way he wants me to. And all I've got to know is that, and the devil is going to have a problem, you know. Anyway, God um, continued to, to do that, and he also called me to some 40-day fasts, several of them. And uh, I was pray praying for the area and their territorial spirits in the area. One other thing I wanted to mention about his provision, though, sometimes I would, I would go to the mall uh, in this city. They had a little store that I would, you know, visit once in a while, lady there that I witnessed to. 
And, you know, I was always witnessing to people or anointing with oil, praying for healing and that kind of thing. But this lady, she had these little sample cups of soup, like two or three ounces that she'd give away. And, you know, if you hadn't had anything, that tasted pretty good. And this one particular day, though, I went to the mall, and I'd already had a sandwich, and I felt that I was supposed to sit down on the bench there, and God was going to do something to encourage me about my future. Well, I had no idea what that would be, and uh, this lady brought me out a little cup of soup, and I thought, well, I'll thank her for it, and, you know, if this is what God wants me to be blessed by today, I'll, I'll be grateful about it, and um, bless, bless the Lord for it. Well... I drank the soup and was sitting, and there was a planter next to me with a tree, and there was nobody anywhere around. I felt something brush my sleeve, and I, I looked around to see who, who did that, and there was nobody there. Then I looked down, and there was a crumpled up dollar bill on my sleeve. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And then immediately the Lord said, that's only a dollar. That's not the point. The point is, this is what I can do if I have to to teach you, so quit worrying. Then that week, he uh, had me find a, a 50 uh, in a parking lot and a 20 on the side of the road, and, and that was a, a confirmation. Uh, there were two things that he showed me that you should never do when you go through this kind of a situation. And the first one is you should never get into self-pity. It's not manly. It's not womanly. It's not mature. And the next thing that you will have is bitterness. You'll have complaining against God and murmuring. And, you know, the scripture talks about that root of bitterness that can come up and defile many. It's something that people hear and they just feel like they've been slimed to even hear you talk. You don't want to let that in anywhere into your life. Then the, the second thing is don't criticize God's provision. Now, the scripture tells about the Israelites that murmured in the wilderness, and it says that they critically appraised God. They gave God a grade. You don't want to be saying, well, God gave me a pretty good shirt this week. You know, that's nice, but not much of a meal. Uh, he gave me boots, but they gave me blisters. Don't, don't, don't. Everything that you get when you're in something like that, you need to take it before God and thank him for it. And... Uh, you know, the angels see that, too. I remember reading a book years ago. It was by Roland Buck, Angels on Assignment. But he said that one thing that really gets the angels turned on to help you is when you have gratitude towards God. And also, you know, this isn't in the book, but there's a scripture in Malachi that says the people were in their houses talking about God. And the Lord heard them. He overheard them. And he was blessed by it. And he prospered them. Uh, can you imagine that, that he, you know, wouldn't you love to be a blessing to God and have him just overhear you and see your mannerisms and see how you act towards the things that he gives you and be blessed by that? Another thing that I felt, though, was that I wanted to be a blessing to God, and, and you know, sometimes men really disappoint you. You come, you, you come to the place where you think, I don't even want anything from people, God, and I did feel like that sometimes. And I, I told the Lord, you know, I, I know how it feels for me to feed a little animal out of my hand, feed a little uh, squirrel or a rabbit or something like that. There's a certain joy that comes. And I just told the Lord, you know, I want to be able to give you that joy. I just want to eat from your hand and know that it's coming from your hand and, and always be thankful. And that kind of gave me, a, I don't know, uh, an outlook that was 
positive too and help guard against you know the the self pity and the bitterness because if you're out there for a long time it can begin to wear on you and you just have to continually know that all things really do work together for good to them that love God. That's not just the saying. That's not just something that God thought would be nice to, to put in the Scripture. <laughs> you know, it is the truth. Well, and one of the things that's really important about what you said, and I really want to encourage the people, of course, that are out there listening, that are really going through this stuff. And, you know, you mentioned not becoming bitter, not grumbling and mumbling, because I think when... I mean, I have to admit that when I was sleeping in my car and folded up like an accordion and, you know, in blistering heat and getting kicked out of parking lots and I had nowhere to park and I'd go out in the woods and then I'd start thinking, oh my gosh, what if a bear attacks my car? You know, it was, there was a Mm -hmm. lot of times when I have to say, I kind of felt myself going, really? I came this far to be sleeping in my car? Like, I I think there was a lot of humiliation and there was a real stripping away of some of the pride because you know i wouldn't ask for anybody for help no matter what i just said no i'm not i'd rather just just kill me now lord i'm not begging anybody i will never beg for anything and i never even told anybody what i was going through because i was so humiliated and embarrassed and i was confused and didn't understand what was going on and so i had to stop myself from starting to get into that place of grumbling like the Israelites did. But it really is a very humbling thing when you have to absolutely depend on God for everything, right down to your socks. It's like God strips everything away from you. No job, no home, no nothing. You really are forced to walk completely by faith. I love this scripture in Psalm 108, 1 to 2. It says, Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. We need to praise him no matter what. And that's what I really learned through that because we always have a vision. God gives us the vision. Then he takes us down the valley to put us through fires and floods, to batter us, to shape us until we get to the place where he really can trust us with the veritable reality. And I really think that's the piece. It's us being, you know, he's the potter, we're the clay. And that's not just, you know, some little cutesy statement. But if we really are serious, we need to praise God no matter what is going on, don't we? We do. You know, I I, I like this one scripture, uh, Psalm one nineteen fifty six says, This is my reward that I have obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And so I know that it's by His grace that He's imparted that. There's another scripture, I think it's in Romans, it says we have our present reward in holiness. That, you know, sin is a filthy thing. Disobedience is a filthy thing. It harms us. It, it brings death to us. And so when we can obey God, we're not doing Him any favors. That's, that's uh, to our benefit. And the idea of doing him a favor is wrong, that he says that we have our uh, duty of reasonable service. You know, it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, uh, which is your reasonable service. It's not a great big deal, you know. And uh, the reason that I wanted to go uh, into that about that I know that God gives us the ability to obey, we can't stand and pat ourselves on the back that we made it. It's only by his grace, but to go along with what you were saying, uh, Sheila, there were nights that I got back to my van, and, you know, I could see my breath. It was cold in in, in there. 
and uh, sometimes even had to, you know, put cans in my sleeping bag to get them warm enough to eat them, you know, canned food. But to get back at that night and yet feel so much gratitude for God, I can remember just throwing myself on a pile of stuff I had on one of the chairs in the van and and just saying, oh, God, thank you for the privilege of serving you like this. Uh, and also, uh, it reminds me of this song that Petra had, I have a thankful heart that you have given me. It, it can only come from you. But that's a good thing to be praying for, you know, that, that uh, he give us a thankful heart and that we repent when our heart isn't thankful. Absolutely. Well, you talk about some really interesting main differences between the Old and New Covenant. And I like what a guest said on my show one time. He said that the Old Testament, it's not just a foreshadowing. It's really like the pre-commentary for the New Covenant. Get into the differences, the main differences, between the Old and New Covenant that you highlight in the book. You know, Mark Bilt, uh, he's the guy that uh, discovered the phenomena of the blood moons. A fine man, a humble man. He's read this book, by the way, but... Uh, you know, one thing, I like the way he words it. He says that the Passover was a dress rehearsal for the coming of Christ. Mm. So it was something they did year after year after year, a dress rehearsal. Uh, to me, the Passover symbolizes the coming of the Messiah, his death for us, and his covering of our sin. The leaven which the feast is actually called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was to be taken out of the houses for a week and um, not put in any of their food. And it symbolized corruption and sin. And, of course, we know who the author of all the corruption was. Uh, But to separate ourselves from this world, as the uh, Israelites had to do from Egypt, and to separate themselves from the flesh. So before a person could become someone who could eat of the Passover, uh, they had to be uh, circumcised and have the flesh cut away. And that was symbolic of under the New Covenant, uh, separating ourselves from a life of fleshly concerns and living. And, of course, we know that uh, Jesus was pictured in... What happened in Egypt when they were slaves, for some people that aren't quite so familiar with the scripture, that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and the Pharaoh refused to let them go when Moses asked him to let them go. Moses did, you know, nine powerful judgments, sending frogs, um, locusts, things like that to, to punish Egypt, and the Pharaoh only got them more hardened, until finally the Lord told him he would send the angel of death through Egypt and would smite every firstborn. And he told Moses that if the Egyptians uh, were going to lose one in every house, so would the Israelites if they didn't have something to protect them. And they were told to, to slay a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the top of the door and on the sides. And when the angel of the death came through, he would see that blood, and he would not slay anyone in that house. So they did that, and that's a picture of us 
being saved, while the rest of the world goes to judgment, we don't have to. If we have the blood of the Lamb over the, the door of our life and have our sins covered, um, the second major block of feasts that is talked about in the Old Testament, when Israel left Egypt and they got out to Mount Sinai, God gave them the Ten Commandments, but he also described to them feasts that he would ask them to keep every year. And there were th three blocks of feasts, and those feasts had to be attended. Every male had to come before the Lord three times a year. And if he did that, he was promised uh, that, he, that, that Israel would have victory over their enemies. And, of course, the first block of feasts was the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. The second block included the Feast of Firstfruits and the Feast of Weeks, which is also known as the uh, Day of Pentecost. And tradition holds it that when Israel left Egypt and they were at Mount Sinai, Moses received the Ten Commandments on the Day of Pentecost. But we know that God also called the uh, people of Israel to be a priestly nation, and they were given the choice if they wanted to do that, then they were to keep his uh, statutes, and if they were to uh, obey him and everything that he asked them to do, they would remain in covenant with him. He would be their God. They would be his people. And if he's your God, you got somebody significant, the ruler of the whole universe, taking care of you. That's what greater honor could anybody have. When the second uh, covenant came for the believers, the covenant that was uh, ratified in the blood of the living Savior, the day of Pentecost, we also received something. And, you know, the Lord had told them they were being called to priestly service too. They were go to go into Jerusalem and to wait until they received power from on high. When the day of Pentecost came, they received in the same way that the people in uh, the wilderness, the uh, Israelites had received when Moses went up on the mountain. Because it said that the cloud of the Lord came down on the mountain, there was a terrible thundering and earthquake, and the fire of God was on the top of the mountain. And to this day, you can go to Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia, and you can see that the top third of that mountain is burned. There, uh, I've got a video that shows that, uh, and they're available online. So they had these tremendous signs from God coming, his power, the fire, the thunder. Well, when the early church was waiting in Jerusalem, a similar thing happened. There was a mighty rushing wind, uh, it shook the whole place, and uh, they began speaking in other tongues, and there were tongues of fire that sat on their heads. And John the Baptist had told ahead of time that... He baptized with water, but he said, there's one who comes after me who's mightier than I am. He baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So when Jesus was uh, ready to begin his ministry, he went to John the Baptist, and he asked to be baptized. And, of course, John the Baptist was pretty sure he knew who this guy was, and it didn't feel that he was uh, qualified to baptize him. And Jesus said... In answer, he said, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then it says, John baptized him in the water, step one. 
he came up out of the water and was immediately baptized in the Holy Spirit, step two. Then it says he was led away into the wilderness to be tempted and tried by the devil. I really believe that that's the equivalent of the fire, the fiery trials that would purify or at least verify the quality and the purity of the Messiah who was getting ready to do the job. Once he had done that, his ministry began, and it wasn't until after that happened. And the father was pleased. Uh, the father now trusted him with his business. He had proved his worthiness, and he also showed us the pattern that we're to follow if we're to receive the fullness of everything God wants to do in us. Now, in, in the book, I also liken those step one, two, and three, water, Holy Ghost, and fire, to the three blocks of feasts of the Old Testament. It should be unleavened bread in the Passover, the day of Pentecost, and then the last one would be the Feast of Ingathering, uh, which also has uh, the Day of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. Well, when we look at what happened on the Day of Pentecost, they received what they were promised. They did not receive a set of rules to obey. They received the Holy Ghost to obey. And that is what we're to do today. If we know that, then a lot of the legalism can be taken out of our life. Now, I know that I shouldn't teach anyone not to obey the law, and I won't do that. But the Holy Ghost will write the law in your heart, and you will obey it in a different manner than going by the letter. Well, speaking of the Holy Spirit, one of the things I want you to do, as we have limited time, is I want you to clarify for the listeners the difference between Holy Spirit baptism and harvest and fire baptism and ingathering. The Holy Spirit baptism uh, is given to us for one reason, and that is to equip us with the priestly gifts to minister to the body of Christ. And uh, also, it's given so that we will have a guide and we will be more sensitive to him uh, as we walk in the Spirit and he leads us into the land. Uh, the Feast of first fruits. oh, you meant, you, you say the Feast of Harvest, yes, continuing on with the, uh, with the Pentecostal experience. The Spirit was given for that reason. Now, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the priests were given uh, certain garments that they were to minister with. They had certain utensils and instruments that they performed the service of the priest with. And they ministered to the people with those uh, things that, that were provided according to the plan that God gave Moses. For us, we minister to the body of Christ by the things that the Holy Spirit equips us with. And we have the gifts of the Spirit. We have tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, which are, are gifts of speech. We have faith, healing, and miracles, which are the power gifts. And uh, we have the uh, revelation gifts, which are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and uh, the discernment of spirit. And there were also vocational gifts, helps, teaching, administration, things that were priestly gifts that were given to us to minister to, to, the, uh, to the body. And the gifts, uh, the uh, fire and in-gathering uh, have to do with bringing us into a place of maturity. Well, if we look at the Passover, 
and that what, what Jesus did for us in salvation, our sins are covered. The difference I see between the sacrifices made at the Passover and the sacrifices made on the Day of Atonement, when you also have the Feast Again gathering, is that the implication on the Day of Atonement is all of the sin is removed from the person. So the Word has now become flesh. It's a sanctification process. At the Passover, your sins are covered. God doesn't uh, look on them anymore. But you know, there's sometimes a process. Somebody gets saved, and there is a a miracle package that they get a lot of times. One guy gets saved, God takes away his trash mop, uh, takes away smoking, maybe leaves him with a bit of a temper. Somebody else, they get saved, and, and they're still left to struggle with the smoking. And God has a different plan for each person. Well, we are expected to grow and to continue with God. Now, the smoking, what is that going to do as far as a person's salvation goes? Well, it's covered by the blood. But now when the day comes that the Holy Spirit points his finger in your face and says, okay, son, today we're going to deal with that. Now, if you don't cooperate with that dealing, I believe that that's when you come into danger of uh, doing what some of the Israelites did, and it said, you know, don't, don't rebel against this angel that's leading you because he will not pardon you. That if you uh, have signed up to be a disciple of Christ, you're going to be conformed into the image of Christ, but now he gets ready to conform you into the image of Christ, and you say no. What is that going to do? Well, the scripture says that it's pretty clear in, in uh, Romans chapter 10 that it's a very dangerous thing if you continue in sin after uh, you've uh, known the very truthful thing. And I'll read the scripture. For if we go on deliberately and willfully sinning after once acquiring the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice left to atone for our sins, no further offering which to look forward to. There is nothing left for us then but a kind of awful and fearful prospect and expectation, expectation of divine judgment and the fury of burning wrath and indignation which will consume those who put themselves in opposition to God. Any person who is violated and thus rejected and set at not the law of Moses is put to death without pity or mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse and sterner and heavier is the punishment do you suppose he will be judged to deserve, who has spurned and thus trampled underfoot the Son of God, and who is considered the covenant blood by which he was consecrated, common and unhallowed, thus profaning it, and insulting and outraging the Holy Spirit who imparts grace in God's unmerited favor? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, and retribution and the meeting out of all full justice rests with me, and I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge and determine and solve and settle the cases and causes of his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Well, I, I believe then uh, that the scripture shows us that God begins to work in our life, and adversity is one of the things he uses. We can't do it without the blood of Christ and without the operation of the Holy Spirit. David, uh, in, in the psalm, he talked about, before I, I was afflicted, I went astray. Well, there's a case there that God uses the uh, afflictions to heal us. I once heard it said uh, that there's ample cure 
for every mental illness, there's uh, a cure if in uh, an ample dose of humility. In other words, all of the diseases of the mind that plague people today, some would say, have a root in pride. And that by taking the humbling that God gives you, there's a healing. So in this process of uh, being conformed into the image of Christ, we have a choice, and it's up to us to cooperate with him. Now, there's a scripture in Exodus, and I did not include this in the book, but the Lord says, uh, I will not drive out all of your enemies out of the land in a year, because if I do that, the wild beasts will increase. Now, I believe that that's meaningful to us under the Second Covenant in this way, that the wild beasts in our life, or the, uh, the giants in the land, the enemies in the land that need to be removed from our lives are sins. And if God removes them too fast, the wild beasts come in. I believe that the wild beasts are the Pharisee spirit. And that is far more harmful than anything because once the wild beasts get in, uh, you know, Jesus never picked on the prostitutes. He never picked on the sinners. The only ones he really got after were the Pharisees. And what he told them was that the prostitutes will go into heaven ahead of you. So we know that we have to be patient with God's time frame. Now, some people, they get such a deliverance, of, a powerful deliverance from the Lord in their salvation that they can get to be kind of proud about it, and they can get to be self-righteous. Well, that spirit of self-righteousness is, is a poison that uh, can be avoided if we let God take his time uh, to to do that work in us. All of the things that they suffered in the wilderness, they all suffered together. And they, all of the things that they saw God do for them, bringing water out of a rock, sending them manna, uh, defeating enemies, those things were supposed to build some kind of faith in all of the people. But when God got ready to lead them into the land and to uh, give them an overcoming victory, only two of the spies were willing to go into the land. The other ten said, no, they're bigger than we are, we can't do it. Now, at that point, God told Moses, I'm going to kill every one of them, and I'm going to raise up a people from you to be my people. Moses said, God, don't blot them out now, because if you do that, the enemies will think that you did not have the strength to lead them into the land. Moses said, let them live. God said, okay, I will let them live at your request, but they will not enter the land. Now, early on coming out of Egypt, God would tolerate this kind of immaturity, murmuring and complaining against Moses and all of the ugly things that they said. But after they had seen all of his miracles, he would no longer tolerate that. And he said, for this reason, because they've seen all of these miracles and they still don't believe. So one of the points that I make in the book is the only thing that can keep you from entering into the things that God has promised you is an evil heart of unbelief. At the sacrifice made at Passover, they eat the lamb. They need it for food. Yes. And for, you know, if, if we eat his body and drink his blood, we have a place in him. When they make the, sac the sin offerings at the Day of Atonement, they burn the bodies outside the camp. And... To me, that has, uh, you know, a great statement about the destruction of the sin because there's a, an identification that takes place 
uh, with God in it, and you know, it says he became sin who knew no sin. And that sin, then, is completely destroyed without the camp. And uh, Jesus was put to death without the camp, but then it was that new resurrection life that came forth. God has a plan to bring you in, and he will do it if you just hold on and you're faithful. That's such good information, because faithfulness and belief and trust, that's really interwoven, isn't it? It is the thing that's absolutely required, you know, and there's nothing more that we can do. Uh, He's not pleased if we're fearful, cowardly, and yet we can't do it ourselves. But if we will believe in him, he will will bring the vision to pass and uh, we'll inherit everything that he's wanted to give us. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program tonight and sharing this information, Donald. And I really highly encourage people to also get the book. And, of course, Donald's information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Thank you so much for coming on the program tonight, Donald. God bless you. Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, and uh, it was a great uh, honor to be here. My pleasure, Donald. God bless. Folks, that was Donald Henderson author of God Signs, his website and the book link is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Folks, bookmark greengospel.ca. There is a link there on my website as well. If you go to stevequail.com, he's also got the information on his site as well. In fact, Steve Quayle's endorsement of my book is on greengospel.ca can read that endorsement along with endorsements from Dr. Tom Horn, Paul McGuire, and New York Times bestselling author Christopher C. Horner, author of Red Hot Lies, on my website. Again, greengospel.ca. I really believe this book God has his hands on. Get a copy to your family members, church congregants, especially anybody you know that is out saving the planet. Folks, we have a fantastic lineup next week, including, speaking of Steve Quayle, Steve Quayle and Timothy Alberino join me Thursday. It's going to be a fantastic week next week. Thank you all for tuning in to the broadcast tonight, folks. I hope you have a fantastic, blessed weekend. Good night and God bless.